If you have your Bibles, please would you open to the book of John. We've been journeying through uh, some commands that Jesus gave, three of them uh, all in all. Uh, one was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We split that over two weeks. Then, love your neighbor as yourself, which Jeremy dealt with last week. And then today, I want to have a look at the last one, which is in John, and that's um, love one another. So there are these three commands that Jesus gives. Uh, he tells us, if you love me, you will obey my commands. John 14 and verse 15. If we go to the next slide there, Brad, and we're going to fly here today. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14, 15. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 15, 9, and 10, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. There's something really important for us to get as believers, and that is that when I come to faith, to remain in his love, and to say that I love him means I keep his commands. That's it. So what are his commands? Well, Jesus gives these three. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and then love one another as I have loved you. Right? So I love God with everything. I love my neighbor as I love myself. In other words, those are people who are not from the same culture, not from the same faith, not from the same, perhaps even not even from the same race. They're, they're people who are not like you. You love them as you love yourself. In other words, how would you like to be loved? <clears throat> Excuse me. That's how you love your neighbor. And then Jesus comes in with this one. It's the night that he's betrayed, he's just finished the Last Supper. He's explaining to his disciples that he's going to be betrayed. And he's, he's explaining to his disciples that he's going to go to the cross. And, uh, and he knows that as he leaves, it's going to leave a little bit of disunity. Because he has been there with them. He's walked a road with them. He has been the glue to hold this thing together. While the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest, Jesus intervenes and goes, so what were you arguing about? And he has a conversation with them. While the guys are, are, are wondering about where they're going to feed the 5,000, Jesus goes, hey guys, come here. Why don't you feed them? And he, 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 kind of, he brings leadership in and he, he, he brings them together and he brings in unity. But now, Jesus is going to go be with the Father. So, so they need to stay unified. Otherwise, their, uh, their egos, their pride, their desire for... Uh, um, uh, accolades, their ambition, that will get in the way and it will actually fracture this group of men. It's going to fracture the group. And so he's got to leave them with something that's going to keep them together. So he speaks to them in John chapter 13. And let's go to verse 31 and we'll start there. Jesus had in the beginning of chapter 13, it said he just completed the Passover meal and it, said, it says there at the end of of verse 1, that now he loved them to the end, or as the NIV says, he, he was now going to show them the full extent of his love. And we know that that was the cross, but he was about to show the full extent of his love. And moving to that, introducing the cross, he washes his disciples' feet. He does something that was meant for the lowest of low uh, slaves. Then verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son, now is the son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. So the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to be glorified. And that's going to bring glory to the Father. 
And the Father will glorify him. And if, he, if God is glorified in Jesus, Jesus is going to be glorified in God. Did I go too fast? Are we right on that one? So Jesus is being glorified in God because God is being glorified in Jesus. Verse 33, little children, he says to his disciples, little, little children. It's like he speaks with his fatherly tender heart. Yet a little while and I'm with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. See, he's going to the cross. Jesus is going to pay the price that no man can pay. Only God himself can come and live the life and die for us. So he says this to his followers. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you. It's new, number one. That you love one another just as I've loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. What does this love for one another look like? Love them, love one another as I have loved you. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 13 and verse 1. He's about to show them his love to the end. The full extent of his love. He humbles himself. He washes their feet. He serves them. He treats them better than himself. And if we could get that right there, we could all go home right now. Jesus says, I want you to love each other like that. This, this little scripture that we just read here is quite important. It, it says a number of things. One, it says you need to love one another. And he's not just speaking, he's not speaking about the outsiders here. There are no other people there. It's just the disciples. Jesus is saying to his disciples, his followers, you love one another as I've loved you. You love one another. If it, if it was yeah, he'd be saying, all right, eight at SBC, you love one another. I've already told you I want you to love the people outside this building, but now I'm telling you I want you to love one another. See, some of us are so good at loving people who are not of the faith, but we're so bad at loving people who are of the faith. So Jesus is going, no, hang on. I want you to love people who, who are in the faith. I want you to love those who are the body of Christ. I want you to love those who call themselves Christ followers. You call yourself a Christ follower. I want you to love those who are Christ followers. So, love one another. Love them as I have loved you. Jesus gives them a new command this day. This is the first one. He gives them a new command. And here's the new command. Love one another. You know why it's new? It's new because, number one, the foundation is not yourself, but it's Christ. You see, the previous one was love your neighbor, foundation, as you love yourself. This one's not like that. This one's new because the foundation is different. It's you love one another as I loved you. We're supposed to love each other as Christ loved us. So I remember the story of, of, of the man who was an unforgiving debtor. Do you remember? And, and he, he owed the king a pile of money. And the king said to him, if you don't pay me, I'm going to throw you in jail. He begged for mercy. The king forgave him. And then he walks out and he holds accountable his colleague who only owes him a small amount of money. But when that guy asks for mercy, he says no and throws him in jail. Jesus says here, which one are you? He says, we are like that unforgiving debtor. We've been, been forgiven so much. But we're so quick to hold others, that, what they owe us, against them. It's a new command. See, this one's not based on how we love. This one's based on how Christ loves. John 4, 1 John 4 verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. 
he first loved us. If you say, I love God, but I hate my brother, I'm a liar, it says. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This is how Jesus loved his followers. He loved them selflessly. He loved them sacrificially. He gave his life for them. He loved them understandingly. He knew them. He spent time with them. You want to love each other like Christ loved you? you? We need to spend time with each other. We need to get to know each other. He knew when he came to his disciples. He knew how to tenderly speak to them. He knew how not to speak to them. There were times where he would walk on the beach with Peter after Peter had denied him three times. Yet he walks on the beach with Peter and he says, just very tenderly, Peter, do you love me? That's it. Just, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asks him the question. Three times Peter answers. And after the third answer, Jesus re- it's like Jesus just reinstates him and he just says, go and feed my sheep. And this man who had betrayed his Lord and Savior and best friend now becomes the one who will preach the first sermon in the church and also conduct the first baptismal service in the church. He will conduct the first evangelistic crusade in the church. He'll lead the first revival in the church. From that to that, we love. Understandingly, he loves forgivingly. Jesus loves by forgiving us. And he loves by serving them. He goes and he washes their feet. And he does something that he's not meant to do. He does something that was reserved for the lowest of slaves. Do you know that Jewish slaves were not allowed to wash feet? If you were a Jewish slave, at least you knew. Because I'm a Jew, I never get to wash feet. That was it. I don't get to wash feet. What would happen in in Jewish homes and in in some of the homes of the day is the wife would prepare the, the, the water to wash her husband's feet as he came home. And she would, she would prepare that to honor him, that she would wash his feet. And when he came in, he would then say to her, how can the one I love do such a thing as wash my feet? So he would not allow her to wash his feet because he loved her so much. And then she would return and she would say, your feet are my feet and your hands are my hands. And then she would sometimes wash his feet or she would bring in one of the slaves and oversee his feet being washed. So it was quite a significant thing that was happening. But it was something that was reserved not for the head slave. It was reserved for the one that we didn't really know about and we didn't know their name and we didn't really care. Sometimes I'll share this in wedding ceremonies where I challenge men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And I'll explain this, this story to them. That for, for us in our day, it would be as if we're at a wedding and the groom is in the front and the bride is in the front. And then when they leave, um, they, they go to the reception venue. And you all know that at the reception venue, they arrive sometimes in a car that's not theirs. But at the end of the wedding, they take their car and they go to their honeymoon. The groom's had it washed the day before. If he's going to be a good husband, it's been washed. The car's looking good. It's been polished. You know, it's ready for all of his mates just to trash uh, just before they go. And, and here's what happens is, imagine during the ceremony, the groom disappears. And everyone's going, where is the groom? Only to find that the groom is now outside with a bucket and a chamois, and he's washing everybody else's cars. That's what Jesus did when he washed his disciples' feet. He served, though he should never have done it. It was the job that you left for perhaps you would expect the car guard while he's not watching down the road to wash the car. No, no. He goes outside and he says to the one whom nobody knows his name, 
the one wearing the yellow bib, you go in and get the meal, and I will wash the cars. That's how Jesus served. Friends, is this a challenge to you or to me? Or is it just me? That if we're going to love like Jesus, that's how we're supposed to love. Let me encourage you on this one. We're supposed to love like Jesus. We're supposed to love God with all our heart. Remember that we have a heart of stone. And when we come to know him, he takes the heart of stone out and he gives us a heart of flesh. So that we can love him the way that he wants us to love him. In the same way, when Jesus makes us a new creation, he grafts us into the family. And he helps us to love one another as he loved us. This is not something I do to keep law. This is something that I do because Jesus loves me. He loves by serving them. It's new because the object of this affection was the church. It's not for anybody else. They knew about loving others, but now it's about the church. Hebrews 10 verse 19 and uh, verse 24 and 25 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, in other words, since we've been able to become believers and come into God's presence, let us consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. This is what it means if you're a believer. Let us, let us stir one another up. Let us help each other to love. Let us not just throw in a whole lot of rules, Sterling, but let's help each other to love. Let me love you and let me help you to love others. Let's help each other in this. Why? Because we've been given the blessing of being able to go into the holy place. Because of Jesus, you're saved. Because of Jesus, you can come into the presence of God. Because of Jesus, God allows you in. So now let's help others to love too. It's aimed at the church. But not only is it new because there's a new foundation. Not only is it new because it's aimed at the church. But I want you to see this. It is not a suggestion. But this is a command. Jesus doesn't say, guys, I've got this idea. Right? So here's my idea. This is what you do. To keep the unity of the faith. Yeah, this is my big plan. A worship service every week. I want to suggest that you guys keep gathering. Okay, let's go pray. Let's go to the garden now. Let's go pray. That's not what Jesus says. He goes, and you command. I'm giving you a command. And the command isn't go to Bible study, go to church, go to uh, sing in the worship team, put your money in the bag, uh, tell your friends about me. That, that's, that's not the most important thing that he's trying to share over here. For the unity of the body, so that people will know that you are my disciples, I'm commanding you to love one another. If we could show a quick show of hands, um, how many of us would be guilty of being disobedient to that command? A couple of you. I was, that was rhetorical, but thanks for putting up your hands anyway. <laughs> Thought I'd put up my hands too now that you're there. See, it's, it's, some, it's easy to keep the other ones, right? Like sometimes it's easy to keep the don't murder. You know? Don't murder. You know, walking through Hemingway's, don't steal. Okay, this time I won't. But I'm commanding you to love one another. I'm com- it's like there are 11 commandments for you as a believer. The 10 and the one extra. You love one another. How many people have been hurt by church? How many churches have been split? Because as God's people, we just don't understand how to do this. We don't understand how to love one another. We're not showing our love for each other. It's a command that Jesus gave. It's not an option. It's a command. 
You see, he was the glue, but now he's gone and there's something else. And if we're not loving one another, we have big problems. See, this is not just an option. It's a command. And, and this is because loving one another, listen to this, guys. Loving one another is not simply not having an issue with somebody else. You, you can't say, hey, I love other Christians because I don't have an issue with somebody else. That's not loving one another. That's just not having an issue. That's living at peace for now. Okay? It's going to change. We are different people, and we, someone's going to rub you up the wrong way. Okay? So just not being or not having an issue, that's not love. Or just being a nice person. That's not love. That's being a nice person. See, love is different. Jesus didn't just come here to be nice. He came here to love us. He didn't come here just to not have issues with people. He came here to love us. You see, loving one another is intentionally loving people. Listen to what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 5, it says, Make every effort to supplement your faith. Add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. And then, this is what you're adding, knowledge. And then self-control. And then steadfastness. And then godliness. And then brotherly affection, or the NIV says brotherly kindness. See, I'm a nice person. I have brotherly kindness. I show brotherly kindness to people. Uh, I, I don't have issues with people because they're kind to me and I'm kind to them. But notice what God's word says you add to brotherly kindness. What do you think it is, guys? It's four letters, and here it is, love. It's not enough just to be nice. It's not enough just to be kind. We've got to add love to this thing. We have to love each other, guys. We have to show love to one another. And, and you know, sometimes that's tough. You know, you say you, gotta, you, gotta, you, can, you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends, that, that whole thing. And what it means is that we have issues in our families, but you can't run away because they're always your family. They're always going to be a part of your life, you know. That blood, it's always going to be there. I want you to know that as believers, we're meant to love each other and go out of the way to love one another. We're always going to be there. We're, God's always, not, I mean, even more than some of our family members. Forever. It's all for, I know some of you are like, uh-uh. But when we go to heaven, I'm moving to the other suburb in heaven. I'm leaving the Sterling tribe here, and I'm going to the other suburb in heaven. I want you to know, it doesn't matter. It's going to be millions of years. We will find you. <laughs> when you do this, God's word says, If you do these things and you keep them in increasing measure, this will keep you from being unproductive and ineffective in your faith. So let's move on. Loving one another, Jesus says, it's not just a command, etc. But this is a distinguishing mark of being a Christian. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is how people should know that you're a follower of Christ because your love for one another, not that you love your neighbor. They know that anyway. I mean, you should be loving your neighbor anyway, those who are not like you. But how much do you love believers? How much do you love those who worship with you? Man, if we're going to love each other, do we even know the name of the people who worship next to us in church? Hey, eight, do you? Do you know the name of the people sitting in front of you or next to you? We worship together every single Sunday. Guys, are you ready for a guilt trip? Because this is not a guilt trip. I'm just going, can we, can we start loving like this? We want to love like this. We want to follow this command. We want to, we want to be an obedient church. We want, to, we want to grow together. But to do that, we need to at least know each other. So that people will know. And if people say to you, they come up to you and they go, man, I can see that you're a Christ follower. But you don't love the brothers. 
you know what, you've really just, you've misrepresented the image of Christ. Because they don't really see Jesus in you. What they see is a nice person. That's what they see. So it's better if they say, I see you, you're a nice person. But for them to say, I can see you're a Christian, it means that they don't really know what a Christian is. Because by this, loving one another, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you're my followers. You're of me. And you see, when you do that, Christ is glorified in you. People look at you and they see Christ in you. Christ is glorified in you. God is now glorified because Christ is being glorified. Guys, that's how we bring glory and honor to his name. It's not just so that people will know. It's not just so that we can keep the unity. This brings glory to God. When we love one another, when we care for one another, this is how God is glorified. It's way more than a suggestion. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, he said it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. And here's the brand. See, they say, how they love one another. See how they're ready to die for one another. That was the brand that they put on us. The brand that they put on us now, they don't love us. They don't love minorities. They don't love those who are poor. They're doing nothing for those in poverty. They're just interested in money. All that they do when you go there is they talk about giving your money to them. Isn't that how we're known? That's the brand we have now. A couple of thousand years. That was the brand. Do you see how they're ready to die for one another? Friends, that would be a cool brand for us to wear, don't you think? People come into this body over here and come to know Christ. They feel like, man, in this place, these guys love each other. They really do love each other. So how do we love? One, this is how we love. By aiming for Christ's kind of love. Christ's kind of love, 1 Corinthians 13. This is what it says. From verse 4. It is patient. Right? Are you patient with fellow believers? Are you patient with them? Do you know enough people to get irritated with, actually? All right? Because when you get irritated, then you have to be patient. Okay? So do you know enough people? You're going like, yeah, I'm very patient with the church. Don't really know anyone in the church. Maybe that's why I'm so patient in the church. I'm the only one. You know, and I'm so patient with me because I do nothing wrong. Love is patient and kind. How we kind? So ask the question. The question of yourself over here. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. Are we loving like that? Are we treating each other like that? It does not insist on getting its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Do you ever get irritable? Just while I'm reading this, it's not in the notes. I just thought I'd ask. Anybody else get irritable? See, now the truth comes out. See, that's not rhetorical. I wanted to know. <laughs> it is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And, and not only personal wrongdoing, but also wrongdoing of others. And, and so how do people rejoice in that? We see somebody doing something wrong, and then we rejoice in it by sharing it with a whole lot of other people and getting really excited that some more people know about the wrongdoing that someone else has done. It says that it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes in all things. It endures all all things. Love never ends. And that's the kind of way we should be loving one another. 
But then God's word in the New Testament gets really practical. And it says this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 to 3. It says, bear with one another. Bear with one another in love. Maintain the unity of the spirit. Bearing with one another means they need to be bared with. You don't bear with someone that you just completely get on with. That always, you know, when you, when you have a conversation, they're, you all, they're always agreeing with you. It, it's wonderful. It's easy. You don't bear with someone like that. You bear with someone who rubs you up the wrong way. But the Bible says, bear with one another. Maintain the unity of the Spirit with humility and gentleness and patience. What I'm grateful for is that God doesn't just tell me to go and do that, but he says, do you know what? I'll help you to do that. By speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4 verse 15 tells us, speak the truth in love. And in that context, it has to do with maturity. If we speak the truth in love, not just speaking the truth. Some of us can get confused. You know, you don't just speak the truth because some things are truthful, but I don't need to hear it like that. It would be great if you kind of layered it with some love. Because then I can sometimes hear better, right? You as well? Anybody out there? Somebody speaks the truth to you, just flat out, it's truth. And I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. You get defensive straight away. You have to bear with that person now. But let's speak the truth in love. Serving one another, Galatians says, but through love serve one another, Galatians 5. 1 Peter 4 verses 7 to 9. It says this, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's how we do this. We be hospitable to one another. We invite each other in. We live in this unbiblical rut, guys. There's this unbiblical rut of compartmentalization and individualism. That rut tells me that I compartmentalize even my faith. That I live as a believer in church. Over here, I love everybody, but when I walk out those doors, in about two minutes' time, when I walk out of those doors, I'm released of this Christian thing. Now, because I've done it, it's my compartment that I've done my Christian thing in. The other one is individualism, where I don't need anybody. So when I say to you, do you love believers? And you go, well, I'm not really sure. It might be because you're living such a deep individualism hole that you don't know enough people to love. You don't know any other Christians. You're nice to the people who sit next to you, in church, you might even put in the offering for them. You know, I got it this week. I'll just chuck it in this week. You guys just, no, that's cool. I got it, I got it. I'll put it in. People love you, but you don't know their names, so you never get to really love them. So get out of your rut. Get out of your rut, and number one, put yourself in a place where you can be loved. Put yourself in a place where you can be loved. It means being vulnerable. It means get out there, and, and you know what? If you're not in a small group, this is going to be a problem for you. Get out there where you can be loved. Secondly, get out there and love. So one is to allow love. The other one is to practically love. Get out there and do this. Get in a place where you can love others. Practically, share a meal with someone. Love people. And I love the stories. My mom has just had a knee replacement surgery. There is so much food that arrived for her during that time. Actually, I think it's for my dad because he would... He can't cook. Uh, um, he will argue otherwise, but really, no. Those who are her friends, 
And we didn't even have to do this as a formal church thing because those of this family have cared for her so well. So well. That's what it means to practically love. Share a meal. Maybe eat with somebody. Invite somebody over to your place. I'm just looking around over here and let's just get personal here very fast and very quickly. In this building, there's about 280 people today, somewhere around there. How many guys? Yeah, about 280, somewhere around there. And I'm seeing one, two, three people of color in this building. Okay, this is where I'm going with this. And this is going to be a very, very difficult place for all white people in the next 10 years. Because sooner or later, people are going to feel welcome to come, and they're going to come, and all of you are going to leave because you got used to this being a white church. And now it's not a white church anymore, and you're going to go try to find another white church. We need to build relationships with each other. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. And I wish that we could just, we could put it out and, and say to the parties, the, the political parties, hey, do you want to see how to build relationships? Come here. Come here. We'll show you how to do that. You can't do it. A political party can't do it. But the church can. Because we know that in Christ there is no more black and white, male or female, rich or poor. So how great would it be if poor could eat with rich? And if black could eat with white? And if male could eat with female, how, would, how great would it be? But it means that somewhere along the line, somebody's got to cross the bridge. Somebody has to cross that bridge and say, do you know what? I'll put myself out there and invite somebody to come to my house. If you're not white, would you help us? Would you help us? Because the truth is, we actually, we don't know how to do it. We're very good at inviting people of our own color, but we don't know how to do the other way. Because if we're going to be the church, we have to love one another. And that means loving people who love Jesus. And that means that they're not all the same color. Grab a cup of coffee. Pray with somebody. Encourage somebody. Cross some boundaries. Cross these generational boundaries. Cross the racial boundaries. This is not simple. But I want you to know, guys, unless we take a step in this direction, truthfully, we're just having a good time here on Sundays. We may as well just close up these doors and go worship somewhere else because we're playing church. We're just play player. But we need to love one another. All generations, all cultures, all economic brackets. Heard of a close with the story, heard of a small, uh, one of our relate groups that met in the, the last little while. And in this relate group, uh, there was a, uh, a retired couple in this relate group. There was a working couple, a retired couple who, whose kids are out of the home. There was a working couple whose kids are still at home. Um, there was someone who was very involved in the church at a leadership level, people who were not really that involved. There were people in that group who had money and they were affluent. And there were people in that group who did not have money. There were people in that group who were black and white. One of the ladies uh, in that group was given a lift because she doesn't have a car. And here this group met on a Friday night. And, and the picture that I had, it's like, I don't mean to say this in a condescending way, but the best way I could describe it is like Madam and Eve, the cartoon strip. They were no longer at war or 
but they were sitting around a table eating together. That's what happened over here. There was someone who worked as a helper in someone's home, sitting at a table, prepared for friends. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. That's what church looks like. We make real friends with one another. We really love one another. Guys, my prayer today is that this can't just be my prayer. It can't just be the deacons and the elders and those guys who will go out of their way to try to build relationships. My prayer is that it would be all of us. Because life is too short to live it in an individual compartment. There's something beautiful as we build relationships with each other and we love one another. Now let's pray together. Father, there is nothing simple about your son's command to us to love one another. Especially to love each other the way you, Jesus, loved us. It is hard, it is difficult. But God, we want to pray that you would stir our hearts to be able to love like that. Increase our capacity to love one another, Lord, we ask you. Increase our capacity to love outside of our comfort zones. To cross boundaries, Lord. Help us, God, to love those who who society says we shouldn't, those who earn less than us, who earn more than us, those who live in a suburb that's not the suburb that we live in, those who drive a certain car that we wouldn't drive, those who don't have a car, those who do have a car, those who have a certain color skin type that's different to ours. God, would you help us as a church to love each other that all will know that we're your disciples, Jesus, that we're yours. In Jesus' name, amen.